Now this morning, we're drawing attention to engaging God's Word. Now our culture is giving us words, and they're coming from all over, and they are having an effect on us. So Facebook gives us words. Advertisements give us words. Songs give us lyrics and words that that fill our our cars when we drive or our homes as we listen. Twitter gives us words. News channels give us words. Children's books are giving us words. And many of these words are discipling us, forming us into a certain way of thinking and living. They're discipling us, informing our view of the world, how we think about certain topics, how we think about right and wrong. Um, They're discipling us in how we should feel. They're discipling us in even how we should talk to one another. Angry rage is a common way of communicating today, and some people can even get the idea that if you really care about this, you've got to be mean about it um, and quick and short about it. And so the words are often in our culture right now, increasingly focused in these ways uh, on radical political ideologies. And they're coming at us with force, and they have psychological pressure, and they're having a cumulative effect on us. It's stirring polarization and anger and anxiety. And so we're all immersed in different ways at different times in this sea of words in our culture. And so what do we need? Well, first of all, we need to see that this is happening, that words are coming at us, shaping us, forming us, discipling us. We're immersed in this sea of words, and it's changing us. But ultimately, what we need is an alternative word immersion plan. Ultimately, we need to be immersed in God's words. We need God's words of truth and goodness and beauty filling our minds and hearts and lives. Because God's words bring with it renewing power that conform us into the image of Jesus, that make our lives beautiful, that cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit of love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control with backbones and stability. So this isn't kind of weak, uh, frothy, just let's go out there and ignore the culture and just be nice. This actually is God's plan to form a new culture in the midst of the cultures of this world. Um, And this is what we see in Psalm 119. So we're going to look at Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. This text is about the renewing power of being immersed in God's Word. So Psalm 119, this is the longest psalm and the longest chapter in the Bible If you have never read through this psalm, Psalm 119, straight through in one sitting, I encourage you to do that. Maybe this afternoon, tomorrow, sometime this week, I can still remember where I was the first time I did it. Uh, Campus of the University of Missouri, sitting outside under a tree, ants crawling around, probably waiting for Christina for something. That's not a statement that I was waiting all the time. I think I just happened to be that moment. And I was reading through this psalm, and it's had a powerful effect on me. The psalm has 22 sections, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and we're looking at the second section. And every line in this section begins with the Hebrew letter bait. And so that's how this is structured. So let's read this together, beginning in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. 
With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So this is about the renewing power of engaging God's word or immersing ourselves in God's word. It teaches us the importance of engaging God's word, the focus of it, and the practices for it. So let's consider those together. So first, the importance of engaging God's word. The first few verses here show us a couple reasons, the main reasons why it's important. First, it guides the course of our lives. So you notice this section opened with a key, key question. This is the key question of the section. The very first line asks, how can a young man keep his way pure? Now, do you see that word way? Uh, that's a Hebrew image often referring to the course of someone's life. Life is, we're viewed as walking along a path. We have a way that we walk, a way that we live, a course of life that we follow. So he's thinking here about everyday life. So he's thinking about his life every day, the direction he goes, the steps he takes. And he says he wants his way or his path, his daily life to be pure. Now, a previous generation um, would often use this word pure to refer to sexual purity. So that's often what comes first um, to mind, especially associated with a young man. But the Hebrew word here is used more broadly to refer to being clean or blameless, having a clean or blameless life before God. Not perfect obedience, um, but real obedience. So he's asking, how can my life be lived in such a way that is in obedience to God? How can my life be clean? And when I sin, receiving sacrifice and forgiveness, but how can I be clean? And notice he refers to a young man. So younger men, this sermon is especially for you. How can a young man have a, the course of his life be set in a direction that pleases God? So what you do today in high school, your 20s, will set a direction for your life. Each step you take uh, will reinforce that direction. But this isn't just relevant for young men. It's for men and women, young and old. He's probably a young man writing, and so he's really essentially saying, how can I keep my way pure? And so we all can ask that question this morning. How can I keep my way clean before God? The decisions we make now along this way, how can they be pure and clean to set this trajectory to please God? How can we be aligned to God's ways and God's path? And he says this, by guarding it according to your word. So God's word uh, is used to guard our lives. So God's word sets the direction of our lives and the steps we need to take. He this man wants to carefully guard his path according to God's word. So he's connecting God's word to all the aspects of his life. I went backpacking in Montana last summer, took one of my sons, uh, met at the airport when we landed uh, with my brother and his son. And so we were going to rent a car and go to Rosebud Campgrounds by Rosebud lake or the lake nearby. So we put that in our app and we set on our course. It should have been about two and a half or three hours away. And we arrived at Rosebud Campgrounds and there was a lake right there. And it was about three hours away. 
but it was the wrong Rosebud campgrounds. So we had friends texting us pictures that looked amazing, kind of mountains behind them because they were already there. We were already late because um, we had later flights. And, and we're like, man, this is great. But then like, as time went on, we're like, man, this, this looks kind of flat and boring over here. We were headed the wrong, to the wrong part of the state. Um, so we pull up and there was no one there, just some bugs. And uh, then we, we found out that we were at the wrong Rosebud campgrounds. And so the decision we made early on and the, the lack of checking the map uh, led us in that wrong direction, right? The steps we took led us way out of the way. So that's how life works. The trajectories we set when we're young, the trajectories we set right now, will, if we keep walking in that way, lead us way out of the way. And so this man's saying, let me guard my path, the way of my life and the course of my life according to your word. Let me not wander from your commands. So the decisions we make matter and we want God's Word to influence them. The second reason why we engage God's Word is to keep close to Him, to not sin against Him. That's what he says in verse 11. He says, I've stored up your Word in my heart, and here's the purpose, that I might not sin against you. So sin is what we do when we do not trust God. We, we do not trust that His way is actually best in that moment. Whenever we sin, in that moment, we're turning away from God. And so it's very relational. Notice he doesn't say, I store up God's word that I might not sin, that I might not do bad things. No, he says that I might not sin against you. He's praying here. He's praying to God, he's talking to God, and he's telling God that he wants to engage with God in his words so he might not sin against God. And notice what he does to make sure he doesn't sin against God. He stores up God's word in his heart, not just I go to church on Sundays and hear it, not just I open my Bible and read it, not just even I study it. He stores it up in his heart, the heart. This is, um, you know, all through the Bible, uh, the control center of who we really are, the place of our deepest thoughts and desires. Uh, it's really, it really sets the course of our life. He's storing it up in his heart that it would keep him from sinning. So here's the question for young men and for all of us. Do you have a pattern of sin that's been recurring in your life that you've not dealt with? Do you keep doing the same things over and over again? Are you drifting from God? This psalm shows us that we need a plan to engage in God's Word. The only way that this will be, um, we will have our course redirected is by going to God Himself, receiving His fresh grace and forgiveness, purchased at the cross of Christ, and then His Spirit taking His Word to get it planted deep in our hearts and bringing His Word to bear on our lives, guarding our path according to His Word, um, applying it moment by moment. So that's the importance of engaging God's Word. Obviously, much more could be said, but in this little section, those are two of the main reasons why this is important. So, second, the focus of engaging God's Word. There's eight different words to refer to God's Word in this psalm, and all eight, almost all eight are used in almost every section of this um, psalm. So you can see a number of them with me. Just scan this section. Verse 10, let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 12, teach me your statutes. Verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Verse 14, in the way of your testimonies I delight. Verse 15, I'll meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So the point is that 
Each one of these words has a slightly different emphasis. Some refer to command, some refer to God's instruction, some refer to His actions in history and bearing witness to them as testimonies. The point is that this is not just about commands, which is what you could get the impression of if you read through Psalm 119, that He just loves statements of commands that He can obey. That's part of it, but it's varied here. It's about all of God's Word to us, and for us now, that's the whole Bible with all of its variety. And the Bible is filled with variety, right? There's sections of history and biography. Uh, There's epic stories. There's commands to obey. There's truth to embrace. There's promises to trust. There's wisdom to receive. And it's ultimately, from cover to cover, a, a giant epic story that actually tells the true story of the world that we find ourselves placed within, And so when we engage God's Word, we're finding out who we are, who God is, who this world is that we made, what are we doing here, where are we going, does anything matter, what matters and why. It's the true story of the world, and it's ultimately a story that tells uh, the story of God's unfolding grace to sinners and sufferers like us through Jesus. Uh, The story begins with God's plan for humanity to know Him, to love Him, to reflect His glory in the world, and we've rejected Him. And then from chapter 3 on of the Bible, it's the story of God's plan to rescue us, to do what only He can do and we can't do. And we find the culmination of this in Jesus. He comes to live the perfect life we failed to live. He dies on the cross as a a substitute, a sacrifice in our place. And then He rose again. And He's ascended to heaven. He's reigning as King. He's pouring out His Spirit and changing the world. And Jesus says He'll return one day and make all things new. So we're, we're living in this story, and the first step we take is to recognize we're part of this story, acknowledge this is the God who made us, and receive His grace through Jesus. Uh, and if you've never done that, you can do that right now. You can, you can, in your heart right now, turn to God and say, forgive me through Jesus, and lead me by your Spirit to follow you. And this is what we all Uh, need to do even as we read the Bible. As we engage the Bible, we're engaging in any text we're reading, the context of every text is this bigger story. And so every time we read the Bible, we're engaging with God in light of this story of grace. The the Bible is ultimately about Jesus, and we learn that from Jesus Himself. Um, After He rose from the dead, He told His disciples, Luke 24, He said, essentially, the whole thing's about me. The whole Old Testament's about me, and obviously the New Testament's all about Him. So when you read the Bible, when we hear it on Sundays, uh, let's set our eyes on Jesus, because um, that's what we need. So ultimately, uh, this is about knowing God Himself. Notice verse 10, He says, with my whole heart I seek you, right? So this, by, this story reveals God to us. We're seeking God Himself in Christ as we read the Bible. It's very personal. Uh, This also helps us misunderstand what's going on, or helps us keep from misunderstanding what's going on in the psalm. So the focus of Bible engagement is God Himself through Christ. We could get the impression, though, reading this on kind of a first pass, that this man just loves the, the letters on the page, right? We can read this psalm and think, what is with this guy just loving the Word so much, loving God's Word so much. Some people have accused Christians of bibliolatry, right? Worshiping the book rather than worshiping God. But all through Psalm 119 here, this man said he, he says he delights in God's Word. He treasures God's Word. Why? 
because it's God speaking to him. All right, the Bible is God's speech to us. It's how we commune with him. It's how we know him. And so we don't worship the Bible. We worship God and therefore treasure the Bible. Uh, this is why we treasure the Bible, not because we worship the book, but we worship God, and this is how we know Him. So it's like someone treasuring a love letter, right? You never accuse someone of worshiping a letter. It's, it's an extension of that person because they're communicating to you. So that's the ultimate focus of Bible engagement. We're dealing with God here. We're relating with Him. But what does it actually look like? What does it look like to engage in God's Word? Well, let's move to the practices of engaging his word. You know, what's most surprising um, when we look at a text like this is that there's not just one way of engaging God's word. It's not just about daily Bible reading. It's not even explicitly mentioned, though engaging with God's word daily is assumed. So, this is an invitation to us to engage in God's word in a variety of ways. So, here's six ways that we see here. Um, You could kind of count them differently. There's really kind of one in each verse. Uh, you can cluster to them together. Some of these overlap with one another. Um, so we'll just look at it in terms of six. So first, apply it. Or in the words of this psalm, guard your life according to God's Word. So this is verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. So thinking in terms of application, we look at our way of living, and then we look at God's Word, and we bring God's Word to bear on it. So we we guard our way according to God's Word here. So it's bringing God's Word to bear on the everyday realities of our lives. It's active. It's watchful, right? This language of guarding. So it's not just hearing the Bible on Sundays and hoping that it does something for you uh, in your week. It's not just opening God's Word to read it in the morning, closing it, and hoping it makes a difference in your life. No, this is an active thoughtful, careful, focused application of the Bible to your life. So, for example, maybe you've been tempted towards some kind of sexual sin recently. You don't just hope that you won't do it. You have to take God's Word and guard your way according to it. So, you go to Matthew 5, for instance, and you hear Jesus Himself say this, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, you could reverse that, or looks at a man with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. So you you hear that, you read that, and you receive it, and you, you strategize, how can I fight this sin with the kind of intentional uh, vigilance that Jesus is saying we need to do. He's calling us to take radical steps to guard our way according to His Word and, and apply it to our lives. So you think through, how does God, God's Word affect my life and how can I adjust accordingly with His strength? A second way to engage, you can apply it, you internalize it. This is verse 1. He says, I've stored, or verse 11, I've stored up your Word in my heart. So this is what we do beyond reading God's Word, which can kind of just lodge in our, in our minds at a surface level. This is about taking God's Word and getting it worked into our mind and thoughts, getting it worked into our heart and affections and desires and will. It's thinking about it. It's receiving it. It's welcoming it into our hearts. We're, you know, we're always storing things in our hearts. Some of you are really good at storing uh, sports stats, 
in your hearts, or jokes to make people laugh, or business principles for uh, success, or quotes to share with people, or information in school in order to pass the test. We're really good at storing things in our minds and hearts. And this is saying that we can do this with God's Word. And in fact, we have to if we're going to live according to it. Jesus said His Word um, is like seed, right? And it's tossed out into the world, and that seed lands on different grounds, different kinds of soil, and that's the human heart. His Word lands on different kinds of hearts, and some hearts are closed off to Him, some are too busy and cluttered with other things getting stored up there, but some soil is open to Him, receives His Word, and that Word takes root and transforms the person so they bear fruit and are transformed. And so they internalize God's Word, store it up, and it transforms them. So that's what um, this is calling us to do. Another way to engage God's Word is as we read it and think about it and hear it, even right now, as we're hearing God's Word, we should have like a disposition to be in attending to God during a sermon and thinking, Lord, help me receive this. Help me respond to you this moment um, and, and welcome your Word. A third way is to study it. Verse 12, he prays, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. So as he engages with the Bible, he's asking God to teach him. He wants to learn. And so this will involve study, studying God's Word. So that's beyond just reading. So when we read God's Word, we can read it a, pay, a certain kind of pace, and we're moving through a text. But studying means we slow down. We think about what we're reading. We ask questions about what we're reading. We think it through. We ask questions and try to find answers. We let things bother us. We let things confuse us. We let things encourage us. We think through implications for how we live. So application can even be part of this. We study how to apply it. So if you aren't sure how to do this, by the way, I encourage you to think through Christians you know, and if there's a Christian in your life who knows how to study the Bible, ask them if they'd be willing to grab a meal or coffee or sit with you sometime and just talk through what they do. How do they study the Bible? How do they slow down? I'd be happy to send you some resources or talk with you about that as well. And we have a course we often um, occasionally called How to Study the Bible um, to help with that as well. And we do this while depending on God to teach us. So study is intellectually rigorous, but it's not just a self-sufficient approach. I love how uh, this man puts it. He says, teach me your statutes. So as he approaches God's Word, he's asking God to teach him. God's the one speaking in the Bible. God's the one who can change our minds and hearts, and so we ask Him to teach us. This is, by the way, why we can never be, we never should be puffed up with pride as we grow theologically, because if you've grown theologically to understand God and the Bible and His ways, who's responsible ultimately for that? God is. He's taught you. Um, he's given you that understanding. So here's how Paul put it, uh, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2.7. He's writing to a younger man named Timothy, and he says various things in his letters, and so he says to him, think over what I say, right? Study this. You've heard it, but pause, slow down, think about it. Think over what I say. And then he adds this, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So you see that? It's like this dependent diligence diligently think and study the Bible, because as you do, God Himself will give you understanding. 
Um, so it requires our effort, and it requires God's grace to give understanding. He doesn't have to, and He doesn't always, and so we seek Him to. And this is why we always pray um, throughout our services, why we pray um, before we open the Bible to read it on our own. We put in our effort, and God uses that to teach us. Here's a fourth way. We talk about it. We talk about God's Word. It's another way to engage with it. This is verse 13. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. So, the vision of Bible engagement here is not just um, we privately read it on our own, and then that's it, which is kind of in our heads. No, the vision here is conversations. It's talking about God's Word here. Not just reading silently, but speaking, talking about them. So, one way to engage in God's Word is to talk together about God's Word. So, we want this to continue to be a mark of our culture as a church, where conversations are about the Bible, are about Jesus and His Word, um, where we're talking about what we're learning, what we're confused by, how we're encouraged. Um, encourage you as we talk after service and engage. Maybe one of the things you can talk together about is, hey, we, we just heard God's Word read, and we sung it, and there was a, a sermon on it. What hit you? right? What did God do in your mind or heart during that time? Was there something you learned that was amazing to you? Was there uh, something challenging to you? Are, what are you confused by? What's, what are you, how are you engaging? And same with Bible reading. Um, ask one another, what, what are you reading these days and what's encouraging? And if you suspect that maybe they're not, then the softer question to ask is, um, or just to, to offer something that you're reading and say, what, what do you hope to be doing in God's Word this year? You know, we, we have aspirations at least um, to do this. We don't need to make people feel bad for not. So just, what do you, how do you hope to engage in God's Word this year? Um, but if you know people are, then just ask, what are you reading? And then share something that's either confusing to you or encouraging to you that you were reading that morning or that's been on your mind. Ask them what they think about it. Just Bible conversations um, together as a a church. By the way, as a side note, it's possible too that when he says, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth, it's this speaking, this recounting is the word. This could be kind of verbal meditation as well, personally. Just kind of like, with my lips I, I recount your words. So it could even be just reading out loud, um, which can be a really helpful thing to do as well uh, with God's word by yourself. Here's a fifth way. Meditate on it. So we have, you can apply it, internalize it, study it, talk about it, and this is really overlaps with internalizing it, internalizing it, but there's a specific focus here. Meditate on it. Now, meditation, that's a word that's being used more and more in our culture. Uh, various practices of meditation are becoming increasingly popular. There's YouTube coaches for meditation. You can have a channel that'll, that'll you know, say phrases to you that you repeat back as a way of meditation in the morning, and uh, I frankly have tons of concerns about a lot of that. I think it's super unhealthy um, and spiritually dangerous, but my point here is that whatever we're thinking meditation, as people talk about it in our culture, the Bible talks about it. It's a great word. It's a great practice, but it's very specific in the Bible with what it means, uh, and we see it here in verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So this kind of meditation 
is about us fixing our mind on God's Word. So there's an object to our focus, and it's God Himself and His speech to us. We meditate on it. The Book of Common Prayer refers to this as inwardly digesting God's Word, right? So we don't just let it kind of just hit our minds like food kind of just stays in our mouth. You inwardly digest it. Here's how J.I. Packer explains it in his book, Knowing God, which anytime I mention this book, I just always want to add, if you haven't read it, go read it. Knowing God, J.I. Packer. Okay, so here's what he says in there. Meditation is thinking over. So this is explaining what it is. Meditation is thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It's to let His truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. Okay, so thinking over, dwelling on, applying to yourself so, so that God's Word can have its full and proper impact on you. The, the full and proper impact is not you read it, you know. That's, that's the start. That's exposure to God's Word, reading it. So you've got to let it make its full and proper impact on your mind and heart. It's transformative work, and meditation is what does that. So I think for some of you, this could be the missing key in your engagement with God's Word personally. You want to know God. You do delight in His Word, at least at times. You want to love His Word more. You want it to change your life, but you feel stuck. And it, the meditation is a largely lost practice that we don't talk about as much as Christians these days, but uh, they used to quite a lot. So here's what Puritan Thomas Watson said about meditation. He said, we light affection, so you ignite your heart, right? We ignite our hearts, we, you light, we light affection at this fire of meditation. So do you want your heart ignited with warmth for God? You light it at the fire of meditation. The reason our affections, he says, are so chill and cold in spiritual things is because we do not warm ourselves more at the fire of meditation. So if you're cold, you turn the heat on. If you're spiritually cold, you meditate. So here's a very simple way to do it, and this is often what I do. On the back of your word and prayer guide, at the top you'll see four bullet points, and these are really framed as ways to respond to God's word and prayer, uh, but you do this through the path of meditation. And so here's four questions um, there's nothing profound about these, but they came from uh, Tim Keller. And there's four questions you can ask of the text that you've read. So when you read the Bible, you can then pause and have help meditating by asking these questions, maybe writing down or thinking through the answers, and then praying. So here they are. One, what does this text show me about God, which I should praise or thank Him? So the praise category. I've read this now. Now, what do I learn about God that should lead me to praise Him directly right now? Second category, uh, confession or repentance. What does this text show me about my sin that I should confess and, re and repent of? Third, what does this text show me about a need that I have and how shall I ask God for it? And then finally, uh, how would this change or how would this change my life if I took it seriously? If this truth, right, this truth that I'm reading this morning or this afternoon or hearing from this sermon or meditating on or memorizing, how would this change my life if I actually took it seriously, if this truth were fully alive uh, and affecting in my inward being? 
Um, so how would it change us? And so we ask those questions, and by God's help, we come to conclusions and we respond. So that's one way to do it. You know, get a plan to read God's Word every day, and then after you read it, spend time asking those questions about it. Maybe write down your thoughts and turn them to prayer. Here's one more briefly. Verse 16, uh, remember it. He says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your Word. Um, I forget His Word all the time, <laughs> don't you? Uh, but here's this, this resolve. I don't want to and I'm going to work to make it not happen. So we don't just read the Bible and hear sermons, we work to remember. One of the best ways to remember God's Word is to memorize parts of it. Take important verses from Scripture, ones that are particularly meaningful to you or teach you about God, write them maybe on a note card or some kind of journal you have, and then keep it with you and memorize it. If you have someone who's good at this, um, ask them, how do you memorize or do it with someone? I've done that with people before. Remember when Christine and I were dating, we were trying to memorize James. Didn't quite get through it. We got pretty far. Memorize Romans 8 uh, with a friend. Sometimes I'll have note cards I keep in my pocket of things from that morning's reading I want to memorize or meditate on. Another way to do it, and maybe memorization's hard for you, still worth doing, but another way to do it is to just immerse yourself in the Bible. The more you read, the more you reread, the more you engage with it, the more it's just there. Um, ready for you uh, to remember in your life. So those are six different practices for engaging God's Word. It shows us that God's Word's not just meant to be cracked open on Sundays or even once a day. Uh, it's meant to saturate our lives. And so I mentioned at the start that our culture uh, is immersing us in, with words. We're being shaped by these words. We're being formed by these words. We're being catechized by these words and discipled by these words. And we're taking them in with similar kinds of practices, right? The words that are being presented to us are being presented in a way that's repetitive and in song lyrics, worked into our minds and hearts, repeated over and over, themes woven through stories, right? It's working on us, not just saying, hey, once a day. It's all over the place, words and messages coming at us and forming us. And so Psalm 119, in Psalm 119, God himself, your maker, is inviting you to jump into a different pool of words and immerse yourself in His words, which bring healing and calm and hope and help and grace. So let's find ways to engage with Him and listen to God speak and see what He'll do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your words here. And thank you for even the powerful effect that we trust has been happening as we've engaged with it um, in this uh, time with the sermon. So we pray that you would, wh whatever you're doing in our hearts, you would carry that through, uh, through today and tomorrow and through the week and the rest of our lives, and that you would continue to transform us as a church family uh, with your words of grace. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.